0: Is this thing on? Hello. Hello.
1: Hello. We are best
0: friends. You.
1: Attention, citizens. It's time for
2: Super Pulp Science.
1: Okay, well, welcome. Thanks for coming, guys. I'm uh, Gregory Komicek.
2: I'm Justin Curry.
1: And this is Super Pulp Science. We have with us uh, some very special guests today um, who I will let introduce themselves.
0: My name is C. Marshall, and I am a freelance editor, book designer, web manager, and I am the author-publisher behind Fairy Ink Press and CoBFF with my best friend who's sitting here, Samantha Oh, Hey, yes, so my
3: name is Sam Biko. I write under the name S.M. Bico, Young Adult Fantasy. I just launched a, a trilogy last week um, with the first book, Sign of the Fox. I'm also an independent publishing professional with independent clients as well as um, larger corporations in editorial, graphic design, and anything that People need, essentially.
1: So you two are badass creative mercenaries, is what you're telling me.
3: Yes. We're for hire.
1: Okay, so on Super Pulp Science, we mostly talk about the uh, ingredients that go into genre. Be Mm -hmm. they personal ingredients, like our embarrassing childhood stories, or um, practical ingredients. Um, You guys host a podcast, Business BFFs, which is my favorite new podcast. Oh, thanks. Uh, And part of the um, inspiration for us starting up, because... Uh, we, we can never be as clever or as, uh, interesting as you, but we figured it's important to share what we do for other people who want to do it. Mm-hmm. So, um, I have a, a tough question right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Who wants it?
3: I'll go. I'll do it. Okay. <laughs> I'll take this bullet from right. my best friend. <laughs> Thank
1: Writing you. and creating stuff is hard. Why don't you give up? Because
3: if it was easy, everyone would do it. Yeah.
1: All right. Let's dig down deeper.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, because because it's hard and because when um, you have a finished product or you're finally able to share it with someone, that value is something that you can never take away um, and that you can't really reproduce really that easily. And so I, the most difficult things are the most worthy pursuits, I find. And
0: when you finish, you get a real rush. Yeah.
3: And you're like, I'm going to make and finish more things and then this is just going to be my life. And, I, and that's really rewarding.
1: I... Um... Always wondered if that was just me with that rush, and then when I moved into the studio with Justin, and I would see him get fidgety and fidgety and fidgety just before a piece was finished, and then the cheer, the silent cheer at the end as he posts it to DeviantArt, <laughs> um, is that the only reason we do it? Is that why you do it, Justin?
2: Um, well, tying in with the the whole brand, like I go under chasing artwork for everything because I always find like I'm. You're always getting better. You're always, you know. So, with new pieces, as soon as I'm done it, I'm excited. But I'm also excited that like the little things I learned along this one is gonna make the next one so much better, and that'll make the next one so much better, and blah 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 blah. And same with the book. As soon as I finished casting and Tonk, during it, I I wasn't sure. But the second I finished it, it, was like that's all I wanted to do was make another book. So the next book like started up almost immediately and it didn't it got worse i after rust and water all i wanted to do was make four more books
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah if we look at the studio stack these are all the books yeah in
2: the yeah right? we're yeah
0: yeah so we and, were,
1: that's, and that was mine on that side
0: I'd we there. yeah we were admiring it
1: you're admiring it you guys do more than anyone i know how could you
0: yeah it's do just we? like every <laughs> single thing is like a catalyst to another thing
3: basically yes um and all these varied things because we do All sorts of things. Yeah. Um, We
0: we work on other people's projects, and we also pursue our own projects, and there's sort of a special balance that you have to maintain there mm -hmm. because you don't want to only work on other people's projects because then you never get to express yourself.
1: Okay, Claire, how do you maintain that balance?
0: Uh, It's always a challenge. It's literally... My challenge that I face every day. Let's um, be specific. Okay. Uh, it's,
1: it's Tuesday today. If you weren't traveling, you'd be at home.
0: Yeah. So what I've been trying to do lately is I get up and I work on an hour or two of my own things. Like I, the first thing I do, it's my stuff. Barring, you know, any emergency, like I have to, you know, fix someone's website because it's down or something like that. Barring any of that, I work on my own things, whether that's writing or or um editing something that i've written or working on my own website or just something like that because then i feel good like i've spent time today on my thing and then i can do other people's stuff
4: Hmm.
0: because otherwise i would prioritize everyone else and then at the end of the day when i'm tired it's easy for me to be like i don't have
2: time that sounds dangerous if i did that (laughs) i almost like i get to work on my own stuff as a reward like, I have to get that other other people's stuff done first, and then I get to go on to the stuff I enjoy.
0: And that's how I used to operate. <laughs> <laughs> but so maybe I... <laughs> you've just learned
2: some things that I haven't learned yet. Maybe you've the gotten... difference
1: is that she cares more about pleasing your clients.
2: <laughs> well, it's just like, I I have a lot
0: of different projects for a lot of different people, and I am of the mindset, like... Their work is very important and it's what feeds me and I I prioritize it a lot of the time. But I also have to remember that I have my own creative pursuits Mm -hmm. too. And if I don't make time for them, then they're not going to get done. And i have at a point now where people expect books from me. So I have to schedule that time and I have to make the time to be creative, essentially.
1: And take the time that's offered to promote it, like what just happened with Sam. So Sam Biko has suddenly vanished from our podcast because she just got a call uh, from a media group to promote her new book, Sign of the Fox. So she gave us a little, oh no face and we sent her off. So she's on the (laughs) phone right now doing an interview. She will be back on the podcast when that interview is done and we can ask her what she said and why. Yep. Um, But... Um, I used to be someone who compartmentalized things. Like I would work on one thing at a time Mm -hmm. and I'd try to finish it. And if they didn't, if it didn't finish, I would get discouraged, but I'd start another thing. And then if that didn't finish, I'd get discouraged, but I'd still start another thing. Um, and now I realize that that's the wrong way to go for me. And I just try to do as many things sort of at once as possible to keep the momentum going, (laughs) which is why those boards are so full of stuff projects if you just um, had
2: one thing on that board you'd overthink it to death and it would probably never get done yeah, kind of, yeah it's
1: kind of well um we we've talked about this in another episode where we um the deadline takes away my natural uh, inclination to redo things because mm. I just can't I don't have time yeah and so I have to decide what to do and then execute it right yeah and then move on yeah because somebody's waiting
2: also, too, it made me think we never, we didn't talk about this in the other episode, but um, if you don't have that deadline, like if you had an open-ended timeline to work on your next book, there is no deadline, just work on it until it's done. It would probably never get finished. Yeah, I have that book. I started it yeah. three years ago. <laughs> you would be
0: one of those people who I talk to often at conventions being like, oh, I've been working on a book for like 10 years. and I'm like, that's too long.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So how long does it take to write a book? Let's be brutally honest sure. with people who don't want to hear the truth.
0: Sure. <laughs> Anywhere from three days, if I'm doing a three-day novel contest, Ooh. to a year.
1: Right. Yeah. Um, it doesn't, in my opinion, people who take longer than a year to finish a book are doing it wrong.
0: They're doing it very slowly. Yeah. That's for sure. They're probably making more excuses.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I worry for them.
0: Yeah.
1: Now, it's not that their work is bad. No. It's that... Most of the people who want to be novelists or be writers or creative people need to realize that in order to do it as a job, you have to finish.
0: You treat it like a job.
1: You have to treat it like a job. You have it's to show up every
2: day. Finished is better than, than perfect.
0: perfect. Yeah, yeah finished, not perfect. Yeah, yeah. It's Sam's motto. Yeah. I'll be Sam. You'll be Sam. <laughs> Sam. Well,
1: we've invoked her spirit here <laughs> while she's on the other radio waves.
2: With um, people who are making books, my first piece of advice is always get a hold of the printer set your print date a couple months down the line, mm. set it in stone, and that's, but, that's what you need. But Mr. Curry, but Mr. Curry, how do I know I'll be done by then? You, you have to be done. <laughs> exactly. They've scheduled <laughs> you in. The yeah. printer has you, like, ready to print that day. That was how Cassie and Tonk got done. We yeah. set the print date, and I didn't think you could change it. You, you have a little bit of wiggle room. I know that now. Mm-hmm. It's not a good thing that I know that now, but, <laughs> <laughs> like, I had, you know... We worked on that book for nine months, and like three months in, I set the deadline and hustled and got it done, and yeah. 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 Now I, I now I know I need that. I can't just, I can't fiddle with it open-ended. Yeah.
1: So exactly. how many projects, Claire, do you produce um, that are your own yeah. in a 12-month period, and how many, What what's the kind of things you're doing for other people?
0: Okay, so I've been doing a book a year since 2011. Um, but I want to do two books next year. So that's kind of a bit of a stress, but it's fine. I think I can do it. Um, at any given time for other people, I can have anywhere from like three projects to like 10 projects and they might be as little as like update my website, which takes, you know, like half an hour or something to like a big Project like I need you to design me um, stuff for my for my convention table,
4: mm-hmm. which is yeah. actually
0: a common project that I've gotten the past year. I was gonna say that's because yeah, yeah because I've been doing all these conventions. Mm-hmm. People and come you have up an excellent blog
1: about it. Oh, thanks. Yeah, <laughs> and that's not just like a shameless product placement. Um, Claire does these really really insightful um, sort of debriefs after every show she does, and then posts them online for with her sales breakdowns with, you know, what worked, what didn't, like when a cab driver screwed her over, like all of the things, <laughs> right, are all in there. And I think it really get, it would it's a great starting place if people are like, what do I need to
2: know for conventions? I have sent them to your blog many times.
0: Oh, thanks.
1: I
2: endlessly searched for like exactly that blog when I started out. Oh, wow. So I'm glad you're doing it.
0: Oh, well, thank you, Justin. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> do you think there's a place in the Comic-Con world now mm. for a... Like a consultant for booth setups?
0: Well, that's sort of what Is, I'm... yeah, you're becoming I, that a little I'm bit? I'm becoming that a little bit. Like, people who want to be like me or like us and do what we do and travel around, they'll kind of approach me with design projects. So, like, can you design me a banner? Can you design me... Make me a list of all the things that I need? And right. that was a big project that I just finished for um, uh, an independent author who operates mostly online and he's very successful, um, but wanted to kind of do the convention circuit and try that out. And so, uh, I knew him, I was like, here's all the things that you're going to need. And I sent him like a big, long list and they were like, great, make all that. So So I spent like at least a month, uh, like it was pretty tight, tight deadline, but you know, I made him a I made them a banner or two. Uh, I made them all the different signs that you would need. I gave them advice about, like, book setup and book placement. Um, What else did I do? I made them a catalog, different catalogs. Like, just, like, all the things that you might not necessarily think that you need on a table. But I was like, no, like, people want to take things away from you at the table like a little like a little card or something Mm -hmm. like that and just kind of give them like insider insight that they might not know not having done a convention before.
1: Okay I'm going to put you on the spot right now. Uh Um, The uh, technical director of Super Pulp Science is here with us. He doesn't have a microphone Uh, but Dan is here and he runs also the FanQuest Mm -hmm. and they asked us to um, put on a little bit how-to for some of their vendors like a little how-to thing. Oh yeah. We got to look at the schedule and see, uh, we'll put you up here in Winnipeg somewhere, but I think you would be a great person to bring on to that. Sure. um, To help show people. And then also maybe offer that as a service. Like I feel like, you know, here's your list and I can do it for you.
0: Sure. Yeah, I could do that. And, uh, like this kind of feeds into a project that I am kind of working on. I'm sort of writing a book maybe.
1: Oh, about this. About
0: Ooh. like a you monster.
1: Then you have all your blogs that you're a genius. You're a mad
0: genius. <laughs> it's not just going to be like my blogs patch package as a book, Why but, not? Uh, I'd read that. I could do that, but I, I would feel like I'm cheating people. Like they can read it for free online, but it will be like derived a lot of it from my blogs and just sort of like, here's all the things that you have to think about when choosing a convention. Here are all mm-hmm. my factors and sort of like the formula that right. I use. And and uh, like, here are all the things that you need for your table. And here's what works and what doesn't. And right. just like a very like kind of instructional.
1: We were talking about making a book like that about making books. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We have a co launch maybe, right? Mm, <laughs> have maybe. A, make a book and sell the book. Yeah, we, we could have, do that. Yeah. Science. Tell me about a time, both of you, where it went really badly.
0: Probably uh, this year in Ottawa, but I turned it around. So does that count? Um, it's like a bad thing that let's happened. Let's start with
1: the horror story. If okay. you both, I've, Justin also turns things around pretty regularly, so let's start with when it goes badly.
0: Just like straight up bad? It's just straight up
1: bad. Tell me about the bad, and then you can tell us how you turned it around, like what? Cause it's a mindset, right?
2: So got to roll with the punches yeah yeah, just.
0: yeah I have to think about this because there's different definitions of bad right because there's like I go there and I make very little sales right okay actually I'll tell you about this okay um I did the Banff farmers market right this year I signed up for oh, I knew
1: you were doing that because of your social medias yeah so yeah. I <laughs>
0: signed up for five Wednesdays in August because last year I was like okay it's the it's the Canada 150 the park's going to be free. Lots of people go to Banff, so I should do something in Banff to promote myself. And plus, Banff is beautiful. Why would I not go there? So uh, I signed up for five Wednesdays in August. Um, The first Wednesday went great. It was good. Kind of slow because you get there in the morning and who buys books at like nine o'clock in the morning? Mm, not very many people.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you weren't in bed. No, I was <laughs> not in bed that day you would have had one sale. Uh,
0: the second day I had Sam with me actually and um, we had a slightly different table and it was okay. It wasn't great. The third Wednesday, um, which I actually haven't written up yet actually because I've been so busy, but the third Wednesday um, I get there and it starts at like nine or nine thirty um, everybody already was there and I only learned on that day that the tables were first come, first serve. Like, doesn't matter if you've paid in oh. advance like I had, like I paid well in advance, like first come, first serve tables. And they're like, um, all the tables are taken, but um, we can set you up across the road.
2: Oh my goodness. So
0: I was like, okay, so... so,
2: they- so took money for these tables and then it was first come first serve
0: yes doesn't seem
2: right yeah well like
0: they still had a table for you but it was in a worse location oh, right so like the farmer vendors of course show up at like 6 a.m mm-hmm. which makes sense because it's a farmer's market right um but for me like i don't want to show up at 6 a.m and also i can't because i don't drive and right. i had a driver and they're not going to drive me at 6 a.m right. or if i had taken a bus you know the bus only gets there
1: at you got a whole lot of stuff there too
0: Exactly. So they set me up across the road and it was like I was my own like convention or my own little pop-up shop, (laughs) like not even a part of the whole farmer's market. And it actually was a nice day. Um, There were lots of people there, but they were not coming to me because it didn't (laughs) look like like, I was a part of the farmer's market. And I had uh, like... People
1: thought you had like your religious pamphlets across (laughs) the street or something.
0: I I actually had more people stopping to ask me for directions (laughs) (laughs) than actual interest in my books and oh. it was very disheartening and my partner was there with me and I felt really bad because he had drove me there and I was like ah, well and then we uh, ended up packing up early and just uh going home I made a little bit of money but just barely oh. yeah sucks yeah, yeah that was
1: really rough okay <laughs> we're gonna come back to how you turned it around in a minute once Justin tells us, Oh I didn't of, turn that one around and, <laughs> well I think you did because you're here still working you didn't flip your table over and say Screw this! Yes, that's true. Right, that's true. So tell us when it went bad.
2: Um, I, it I don't have I don't have too many horror stories. Uh, one one incident comes to mind. Um, the Saskatoon convention, my very first year, three years ago, uh, was my first time I went to the Saskatoon convention, and um, originally I was gonna drive there because it's a seven eight hour drive from Winnipeg, so it's a it's a good drive, but something you can do, um on your own. And I was excited about it because in my own vehicle, I can bring as much as I want and, you know, like you can just kind of go all out. And that's, I love going overboard for conventions and bringing like way more than I could ever move. Um, But leading up to the show, (laughs) uh, it turned out two other friends were going as well. They were carpooling. They had a U-Haul. They invited me along and I'm like, Oh, okay. Like this will be better. I can share in gas and stuff like that. And we'll get to hang out. But I probably shouldn't, you know, be myself and bring everything I want. I should, like, be considerate of other people needing space, too. And the U-Haul shows up, and I didn't really realize how big this U-Haul was, but it was, like, one of those big squares that goes behind the van. So we had this big van, and then we had this big U-Haul, and we probably filled up, like, 20% of it. So I'm kicking myself for not bringing everything that I wanted to bring, we get to the show, I start setting up, and I realize kind of in my reshuffle with this new car setup, I had forgotten two full boxes of prints. No. So now I'm like thirty percent of my inventory is not there and like of my sixty pieces of artwork, you know, ten of my like really hard hitters are not available. So that kind of sucked. So I went to go set up, and I would also, I just started doing a new kind of setup with my, I have a banner stand behind me, and I had, i tape um, prints to the banner stand. I had just gotten these vinyl banners, this big branding thing that was going to hang on the banner. The banner was printed on such material that tape didn't want to l- adhere to it. Oh no. So I set up my banner the night before. I show up in the morning, and like two hours of stitching together prints, is on the floor.
4: Uh.
2: It had all just come down. So the entire day, like I retaped it. It was a horrible morning of me retaping my banner together. And it kept like it tape wouldn't stick to yeah, it. Yeah, just the it, inevitable it just, march yeah, of time pulled the I knew them off. like every time I looked back I could see it slipping a bit more off the the top of the banner stand. Um, so how this kind of turned around, the banner was didn't yeah the banners sucked it was horrible i rethought things after that but what i noticed happening was right after the right off the bat i would tell people i'm sold out of these pieces and rather than get upset or disappointed that i didn't have that it almost instilled this urgency to get my other stuff before I sold out of those. So the
1: stuff you'd forgotten, you told them you were sold out. I did
2: not tell them I forgot it. I, right. I started telling people <laughs> I forgot it. they like, I shouldn't tell people I forgot. It looks bad on me. I should tell people I sold out. Right. And so I told everybody, all these really cool ones, sold out already. I have limited quantities of everything. And so I noticed the change in attitude to everything else. So you changed
1: the narrative, both for yourself and for the
2: attendees. So sales did not dip... Like, I thought they were going to, if anything, it was, it was a great show. Saskatoon puts on a, a really, really good Yeah, convention. I really like that show. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I had, I had a great convention moving prints, and I think, like, and that kind of instilled in me, selling out of things is not a bad thing. Yeah. People, people notice that you sell out, and they remember that for next year. The amount of people that I had that came back the year, the next year, and said, like, I came here first because you sold out of everything I wanted last year. Yes. So you were my first stop. And I hear that like several times a year at several different conventions. Wow. Um, so selling out is not bad. Okay. Yeah.
0: And like that kind of happened to me in Ottawa this year a little bit. Um, so I, it was my first time in Ottawa. It's a really good convention. Um, I shipped my books to what I thought was the convention center.
4: oh.
0: No. But um, I got the address wrong, and I was a little confused because there were a couple different addresses on the site, and I got a little mixed up. Um, and I s- kind of melded two different addresses together. And, <laughs> and so uh, on the day, I show up. I had a box with me from uh, the previous week in Regina. So I had s- like a third of my stock. Um, I get there, and I'm checking the tracking. I'm like, maybe my books will be here today. Uh, no, return to sender. So I was like, "No, this is my worst nightmare." <laughs> and so I set up with what I have, and within it was a very brisk con. Like people in Ottawa, they are ready to spend on Canadian content. Within two hours, I'm like very low, and and then sales kind of continued. So by Saturday morning, I was like totally out, um, except for one copy of each book. So I'm like, "Okay, I have to decide what to do." So, I decided that I would take orders on my books. And if you spent more than $35 at my table, I would ship to you for free.
1: Did that work?
0: Yes. I made the same amount of money that I predicted that I would at that convention.
1: Did that change how you traveled forever?
0: (laughs) No, because, uh, I mean, I, I like having that full table. Right. Like, I mean, it looks... I mean, to me it looks very bare when I only have like one copy of each of my oh, yeah, like agree
1: with yeah. five
0: or six books on the table but um and yeah people were like very excited like like what Justin said they're like oh you sold out like that's so exciting and it's true like I did sell, sell out but I only brought a third of what I could have brought and um it was very embarrassing and I felt like very awful but then once I kind of turned it around, I was like, you know what? This didn't turn out so bad. Now I know, like, that I can do this if this happens to happen again. And hopefully it doesn't because I, yes, it's a safety net. And it sort of tests, it tests you.
1: So are you glad then that it all went badly?
0: Um, it's a good story.
1: Right, it's a good story. But it also, <laughs> like, in both of your scenarios here, it changed a concept of how to table at shows. Yes. Right, so... But Do you think that this is true of every horrible instance of tabling at a show? That somewhere deep down in there is something to learn from.
0: Uh, you, you always can learn about your, from your mistakes. So yes, yes, uh, I she said cautiously. I, I think that it probably worked for Justin and I because we're well branded.
1: Right. Ooh. That's so true. Um,
0: It may not have worked for a person who only has one or two books or a couple of art prints. But because Jesse and I have very clear brands, um, a person can trust like, oh, you are going to ship this to me.
1: And find you. Yeah. Right. There's no yeah obfuscation there.
3: Superpowers.
1: Welcome back, Samantha.
3: I'm sorry that, uh, for my absence, but also uh, I am just starting out at convention, so I don't, I didn't really have a lot to contribute to okay, the conversation. Okay. Well, you yeah, because
1: <laughs> you were on a whirlwind media circuit promoting Sign of the Fox, so I can't blame yes. you for dipping out. We told listeners where you went and why. Thank you. Um, so now you have this air of mystery.
3: I do. Um, <laughs> and the funny thing was, like during this, um actual interest so it was for CanStar um, which is a supplement for the Winnipeg Free Press and it's like a local neighborhood thing and she just wanted to get an idea and she as I'm explaining all the things I do and the things I am doing empirically she's like yeah you do a lot (laughs) and uh, and I was like well the mean the reason for it is um, that publishing itself is very brisk and I only really have a three to six month window of relevancy to take advantage of so I really have to make the most of all the time that I have she was like oh (laughs) That's uh.
1: <laughs> so don't waste my time, lady. Is that well, what the underscore? No,
3: no, it was just kind of like, that's why I'm busy all the time. Right. That's why I'm just have to say yes to everything, always be on the go and just kind of take every opportunity that you can um, with all of these launches and all of these, like anything. Because um, as I said to her, you know, oh, yeah, it was really exciting. I just launched my book like, you know, two weeks ago. But my editor's like, yeah, your, your, uh, all your edits for number two are in. Get them in by Friday. Um, then they have to go to copy edits. Forget about book one. <laughs> it's book two time. <laughs>
1: book two time. Yeah. Okay, you made, a, you made a very specific statement there about the window of mm-hmm. relevancy for promoting a book. Mm-hmm. Can you restate that window again?
3: I sure can. It is three to six months. All right. The reason that, uh, and it varies, uh, publisher to publisher, but everything is done by season in publishing. There is this, for the most part, it's usually a spring season and a fall season. There can be variances in that, depending on uh, your distributor usually dictates these seasons um, if you have one as a publisher. Um, so you can have a book that comes out in October, but by February they're already promoting spring books. Right. So you're at your backlist then uh, because everything has to always be, there has to be certain windows that things are promoted. Things are gotten into for reviews. Things are gotten into catalogs for selling and then into stores so that stores can pre-purchase them. And then you can determine print runs and, all of that from pre-buy in right. and that kind of thing. So there it's very tight scheduling and everything I was planned. So 18 to 12 months in advance and there's just, but it, it's always moving. It's just constantly moving. So yeah, the direct I, market in
1: comics, you order two to three months in advance for mm-hmm. things to same. And
3: it's, and I, in comics is much faster
1: oh, way production,
3: faster, yeah. um, but in books.
1: Now we, Justin and I have both noticed, I'll, let, I'll throw this microphone at you in a second, um, that, That window is absolutely true for traditional bookstore markets, Mm -hmm. but that books don't get stale. At the shows and Claire, yes, you can't see Claire nodding vehemently. Yeah, here. I'm
0: I'm agreeing. All yeah. Right. Yeah,
3: definitely in person hand selling, much yeah. different model, much different distribution model and and it's always relevant right. than yeah. the what is the current like common marketplace. Yeah. Especially
0: yeah. if you're writing in series like I am, so I have two different series. Um, my first book in my fantasy series was published in two thousand twelve, but I still sell a lot of that because it's book one right. and I keep publishing sequels. So it's still relevant
2: yeah. today um and yeah i is coming into publishing my first book i published in 2014 and i think just from overhearing other people in the the book industry i had this idea sent in my head that the first couple months means so much to that book like the first initial launch if it's not if it's not successful the book is not going to be successful Mm -hmm. and i quickly learned because i'm not doing this through traditional publishing means i'm I'm self-publishing and I'm, I'm selling at all these conventions I go to that has, that holds no sway over my book. Yeah. Um, If I want to tell people that this is my new book and it's still two years old, I don't have a new one. Like they, they, yeah, it looks new to them. It's new to them. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we uh, like sales have been consistently steady through Cassie and Tonk, like from, from day one. And like, it's, yeah, it's going great. So, So
1: to me, the holy grail of this whole scenario is to combine those two things, which is what I've been trying to do working Mm -hmm. with traditional publishers and then also doing the show floor stuff is to find this some kind of synthesis between the traditional market Mm -hmm. and the show floor market uh, in a way that doesn't anger the publisher that you're there. Mm -hmm. You know, some people think it's cannibalizing sales, but I don't see it that way and i
3: mean uh it's also just different characteristics of the situation because you guys are selling your own branded material and a publisher is selling multiple authors and right. multiple works yeah. um, so that's why the scheduling thing kind of comes into play they the traditional publishing model operates on a risk and therefore they have to take as many good risks at oh, once yeah. as they possibly sure, yeah. can in order to make a profit because, uh, dear listeners, the, a lot of you do not know uh, the general profit margin of traditional publishing, but, I mean, a publisher will make maybe a $1.50 per unit right. or a 3% profit margin per book. It's not uh, an extremely profitable um, industry because it works on a consignment model and you really only make a big profit if you... Um, Make a giant splash because it's all up to chance. Right. Um, so, whereas like where you're doing like kind of the hybrid method, where you're like I'll be I'll have books with actual publishing groups that have a distribution power to get me into places you currently can't get. You are also self-publishing work where you get to keep the majority of the profit because you've put in the all of the production value and like taking all the risk. You've taken all the risk, yeah. and also you don't have to split like take out 69 percent of your exactly, yeah. cover price to, for, for shipping and warehousing and stuff. Yeah, and our studio um, um, as runs as on that
1: 69% that we don't have to give someone else. Exactly. Right.
3: Um, so like doing both of them, the, like you said, I don't believe it's cannibalizing because that right. if the publisher has a booth at another convention as you, they have other books that aren't yours to sell.
1: Well, and so. for me, it's um, you can only make so much and promote so much. And mm-hmm. so I my output exceeds my ability to promote a book properly and so Uh if I place other books with other publishers that I think are good placements Mm -hmm. um, then they will take on some of that responsibility and I know that I'm trading that 69% for -hmm. it but if it means that a book has a good home and can reach a good reader and I'm not too precious about the fact that I'm going to be making more things.
3: Well yeah and you have so many other projects. Yeah as
0: evidenced by this room. This room.
3: <laughs> I mean, um, your trunk is full and you can kind of, when you There's have, room. Lots of room. when you have a lot of things kind of in your back burner, you can um, dictate where they go yeah. and um, and that's business strategizing.
1: Is, well, I love that you think it's business strategizing. To me, it's more uh, a horrible compulsion to make things. <laughs> um, and as a result of being in this business, it's viewed As if it's a positive, like that I'm not some manic psycho, just like. Yeah, but you're honing
3: it in a way to make a living. You're not just like throwing your paintings out into the streets. (laughs) being Like, this is
1: me. (laughs) Look at me.
3: That's not what you're doing. Checking
1: in 12 months and we'll see how it's it's going. (laughs) Right. Um, You guys uh, have branded, you're talking about consistent brands. You have your own things that you do. Um, So your most recent book, Claire, is?
0: Uh, Hunger in Her Bones, which is book three in my science fiction series, uh, The Sparkstone Saga, set in northern Alberta.
1: And your most recent book, Sam?
0: Scion of the Fox, which is book
3: one in a trilogy titled The Realms of Ancient. uh, And it is a young adult fantasy, Princess Mononoke meets American Gods, set in Winnipeg.
1: Okay. Now, what you've just done on prompting is what I wish everyone, everyone at the show on the show floor could do Mm -hmm. on prompting.
3: Uh, so my book—it's kind of about like these teenagers, and they kind of have powers and there's
0: animals and aliens. Oh, and, and here are the f- here are all the animals in the book. Okay, there is a rabbit and there is <laughs> an owl and, and there's, there's a, fox. a fox. Oh, a fox! I love foxes. <laughs> okay, and, then so they're all,
3: and their customer's gone.
0: Attention, citizens! I
3: do a lot of layout, typesetting, graphic design, packaging for books, and publishing. Um, you know, I will work on say an editorial I have someone's edits due this week for another book and so I'll work on that until I get up to a certain number of pages and then I'll be like okay well now I can knock out that typesetting thing out of the park and just trying to manage what's a priority and while my book has been launching that had to become the priority for sure so I did have to kind of um, not work not put as many hours into the other stuff that I did, but you know I'd already front-loaded other client stuff, so that by that by this time, my launch time, I was a bit more free. It's but it's always just kind of a reassessment because you're always having to be like, okay, well, what needs to be done now? What um, can be kind of put off for a day? Um, you know, what what can I do for myself? Because I'm trying to turn more towards doing more of my own stuff as well, because um, I've not done that for seven years.
2: Your process sounds so much more adult and responsible than, wow. than <laughs> how I go about things. Um. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like, yeah, you, you prioritize and, and you get what needs to be done, um, done. Whereas we talked about this, um, just earlier today, how we usually, if we're getting bored not bored but a little worn down on one project we jump ship and work on something that we're excited about until we're excited about that other thing again mm-hmm. and then we kind of jump back it's a little more yep, i guess organic and less as less long as you're as long
3: as you're getting the work done in yeah. a timely efficient manner any approach is is the right approach yeah. for you
0: and i do that to you sometimes mm-hmm. like uh in september um i I was literally working from the time I would get up until like one or two in the morning. Yeah.
3: And it's not like a nine to five schedule. Like some, I'll, be working, have dinner. I'll probably keep working until I go to bed if I have to. You but know.
1: wait, everyone. I thought the artistic lifestyle meant that we could laze around at the studio painting eating nudes, t- eating, eating bonbons. Bon <laughs> <Right? laughs> oh, bon isn't bons. that why we got into this? So that, that, sounds we work nice. that sounds nice. <laughs> <laughs>
3: sounds nice. No, I got into this, this kind of lifestyle so I didn't have to work with anyone.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and now you're working with everyone.
3: That's right. <laughs> but at least it's silent. <laughs>
1: yeah. So you prefer... So in your... Um, perfect work environment that quiet is mm-hmm. yeah.
3: like maybe some ambient music but often I just forget to even turn it on oh really and I just yeah I just work in silence I don't oh, mind God. it I really like the quiet and I live in a very quiet neighborhood I live in Charleswood my property backs onto a forest it's very it's very chill um,
0: see like I need some kind of music mm-hmm. like whether that's um, like techno mm-hmm podcast. Uh, podcasts if I'm doing design. Mm-hmm. Uh, techno if I want to get it done. I'm like editing or doing some kind of non-thing that I can't have vocals in the background. Uh, the techno really helps me just be energized. It's like drinking coffee, but for my ears.
1: For me, I it's different. If I'm writing, if I'm working on comics pages, um, I like to be in the studio. I like to either have some movie that I that I've seen before on that I can kind of ignore, but it carries me along emotionally, Mm -hmm. or some music will play. But if I'm doing prose, if it's straight up just the writing part, Mm -hmm. I want to go to a super busy restaurant. Oh, and there's something about all that frenetic energy. That forces me inward into this little laser. Mm-hmm. And then I don't, it doesn't, there's no busyness. There's no interrupt. All those interruptions become no interruptions for me. And I can focus on what I'm writing. Right. And once I get enough of it down that way, I can come back here to the studio and then flesh it out and work. Mm-hmm. But there's, I, I don't know when it started. Actually, I do know when it started. Because I really started working a lot uh, at university writing in big, busy rooms. Mm-hmm. So I think that might just be. A, na- a nurture, not a nature mm-hmm. interesting yeah how about you Justin
2: um I, I also like when it's getting to kind of the the crunch time of a project the last um, you know 15 20 pages of a, a book I'm a big fan of uh, I think with Rust and water we uh, we watched Voyager like the entire like season of Star Trek Voyager for Cassie and Tonk it was the next generation he is back. forgiven my brothers and sisters of the continuum have taken me back i'm immortal again omnipotent again
1: swell don't fret Riker. my good fortune is your good fortune i don't need your fantasy women oh you're so stolid you weren't like that before the beard very well I feel like celebrating. I don't. All right. All of it.
2: Because we're doing grunt work, like, all the pages are figured out, the composition's done, uh, it just has to be painted. So that's eight hours of, like, you're just kind of, like, filling it in. Um, so it's easy to have something in the background. Another favorite one is, I like watching all of South Park. Um, so right now, the, the album I'm listening to is Respire by Yersin Volpine. I've been listening to this thing on repeat. It's like um, like booming trailer music, almost like very oh, orchestral. Love that. Like something like Hans Zimmer would do. Uh, that has been like my mind fuel recently and it's, I've storyboarded out an entire new book just based on this album going like looping over and over and mm-hmm. over again.
0: I love that. I love that.
2: Fold Pine, doesn't that mean fox?
3: Yeah. Isn't earth is sign bear? Whoa.
1: Earth sign bear. Yeah, so it's like bear fox. Bear fox. Whoa. Cool.
0: Great. Is there a bear yeah. fox in your book? No. Aww. Aww.
1: Well, so there are oh, bear foxes what? in your book. <laughs> Right? Yeah. Wild. Interesting. Okay, so I have a couple more questions. How are we doing? Uh, where are we for time? Okay, perfect. We just checked in with the uh, our technical director here for whether we've been rambling too much. And Dan's got us on, uh, on the compass point. You have decided to do a project, whatever it is, whether it be a novel. Let's mm-hmm. just role play this out, okay? So you've decided to undertake a novel project for your self right Mm -hmm. you've finished the outline Mm -hmm. you know what the story's going to be you're halfway through writing it and then it becomes something else what do you do
3: i just keep going with as it is to see where it takes you kind of with the basic outline i used to be um a pantser and i never got anything done um so i do outline heavily now but i mean you outline, but you kind of have to respect that you're also improvising as you're going along based on a plan. And if it goes somewhere else, you're just like, yeah, you know what? If you're feeling it, just keep going with it. Um, I wouldn't feel too stressed out in a first draft to adhering to what your original plan was. Finish your first draft and be like, well, this is how it turned out based on me following those feelings. I'll go back and check in with my plan. How much did it deviate? Is there something I can pull from the plan to make it more cohesive? Like, you know, finish not perfect is also is like my, my motto. We say this earlier? Yeah. 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 yeah, Well, here it is again. (laughs) Super Pope Science.
1: Thanks for coming, guys. This has been uh, Gregory Kamichuk and Justin Curry. Join the fight. Make comics.